Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. I'm not quite as loud as I usually am, my baby's asleep right downstairs, so I'm trying to keep my voice down a little bit. But this podcast is brought to you by the Conversational Academy, the one-stop shop for your conversational designing needs. As we go through the next few months and years, the need for conversational designers is only going to increase, and the Conversational Academy have put together the best online course for conversational design training. It will take you through from beginning to end, from discovery to design to prototyping to testing. It'll teach you everything you need to know to be a world-leading conversational designer. Check it out. The link's in the show notes and also on the webpage if you're listening to this online. Today's guest is Hahua Hamano, and she is the Senior Product Manager at NPR. For those that don't know, NPR is certainly in the top skills in America. It's kind of the equivalent of the BBC in America, but not exactly the same because it's not quite government funded. But the skill is, you know, one of them, it will be one of the most used on the Dashbot Competitive Analysis Reports. It is the second rated skill in the USA. Uh, they've got games there as well. They've got a flash briefing. Uh, they're working close with Amazon on, on, on a few things we can talk about, but the main topic of discussion really is how NPR approach user research and listener participation in their design process. We talk about how they recruit users, we talk about the kind of testing they do, uh, there's some really, really good nuggets and gems in here. We also talk about the relationship that they have with Amazon uh, and a whole host more. It's a really, really interesting discussion, you're going to absolutely love it. This is Hahua Hamano of NPR on the UX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Now, further ado, welcome to the show. Well, so we have a great guest today. It's Ha Hua Hermano from NPR. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, and so you work at NPR and you work on voice heavily and you've given a lot of talks at conferences, but people might not know who you are yet. So do you mind introducing yourself quickly? Sure. Uh, I'm Hahua Hamano. I'm a senior product manager on emerging platforms at NPR. And so that includes connected cars, connected TVs, um, and voice platforms are a part of my portfolio. And I occasionally get to work on the uh, a smart fridge or two. And so anything that's beyond some of our uh, core apps and, and experiences uh, fall into my purview. And NPR, National Public Radio, I'm always actually really surprised when I speak with people who don't know what NPR is, but for those who don't, what is NPR? Sure, we are a national nonprofit membership organization um, and multimedia organization. And so we have uh, member stations across uh, the U.S. who uh, participate in and pay for our programming as well as um, some of the uh, digital offerings that we have. Um, again, the, the website, mobile, and then our, our, we produce um, a couple of flagship shows, shows, namely Morning Edition and All Things Considered. And so that's where uh, our audience lies, uh, mostly in our broadcast, our radio audience, um, and about 97% of the, popula- the U.S. population is within broadcast uh, range of an NPR station. 
So is it is it this, is it kind of would I be correct in describing NPR for for the non-US listeners as uh, I'm sure I'm sure most people have heard of it uh, and know know obviously the brand, but it, it's similar to BBC. Would I be right in, in saying that? We have we we love the BBC and and their um, their model. We uh, most folks think of us as as kind of um, similar to like BBC or the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation or like the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. We we uh, collaborate with them a lot in terms of like their their unique challenges. What's what's uh, unique about NPR is that we're a membership organization and we're not um, it's not government funded, and so uh, the stations pay into NPR for our programming and support services um, and. Those, and some of those stations get government funding, but NPR on its whole does not get um, government funding the way the BBC and, and, and some of our, our, our good friends at, at CBC and ABC do. And you're not just radio, right? You have quite a number of digital properties, voice and otherwise. That's right. I mean, a lot of our programming is audio first. Um, we also have a very uh, strong web presence. We're, you know, one of the, one, a very uh, highly trafficked uh, media website as well. And so a lot of our text-based content is there. We we have um, some of our uh, properties are text first. Um, and, and so that's uh, an exciting place for, for, for some of our global health content. Um, and then uh, we do have, you know, again, uh, our apps, our um, skills, our actions. Um, we have Tiny Desk, which is another popular thing here stateside where we have um, upcoming artists and, um, you know, no, known artists come and play behind literally an, an office desk at our at, at our office that, that, that I've been pri privileged to, to see uh, and attend. Lizzo is one of our, our most uh, popular ones to date. And uh, that was really cool. Um, and so that's distributed um, via YouTube and our website. Um, and there's also an audio form of that as well. And so, yeah, and, and, and all of those properties, both, um, you know, Tiny Desk, some of our um, podcasts do live events as well. And so those come out as um, audio and video and, and obviously in-person in, in events too. And so we try and, and, and really be engaged with, with the public, with, with all of our content. What are some of the things you've been doing in voice specifically right now? Yeah, what we were there at launch with, you know, Alexa in the U.S. and that's uh, given given us kind of a great foothold um, and, and with our flash briefing. And so there are a lot of folks that know of NPR via that that initial flash briefing, which we um, appreciate and, and 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 love that it was such a great fit for us. Again, sometimes we talk about it in the building as like, you know, that 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 the, the Alexas and, and the, the Google assistants are like this kind of spiritual predecessor or successor to to radio and that's exciting and and so we try and get a lot of our current offerings available easily um, via Alexa and Google Assistant. Um, I think what's really exciting now and which which is what I go on the road and I'm super excited to talk about is kind of the, the second phase of that where we're really using the unique features of those platforms um, and, and, and as, there, as things are innovating and moving so fast on all of these platforms that we're there um, to kind of see where our content fits and how we can meet it, meet them where they are. Um, obviously, you know, multimodal um, was, was, 
is exciting for a lot of folks where now they can be like, oh, great, a screen. Now I can now I can use this platform for us. It's a little bit of a challenge, but we are um, we are seeing that that's helpful, certainly with our weight weight quiz and, and some of our other visual first properties that, you know, that, that we can also um, innovate when there's a vis- visual in the screen, um, as well as our kind of uh, groundbreaking um, audio content as well. And so that's that's the second one and the, our second phase and what we're currently doing. I think our third phase is, is just to really lead um, the market on some of the experiences where we do have a really loyal and strong audience there and they give us feedback. We have tons of ideas in our building. And so how do we kind of go out and lead as well uh, in the space so that we can drive the features ourselves? Maybe, you know, even even something to think about something in a way that that the platforms hadn't thought about before because we're so um, deeply invested in this. What are some of the examples of those? Um, so the, f- the first phase was the flash brief. Is that what you started with? You initially started with the flash brief in... Right. We started with a flash briefing. Um, we also have streams, which I think is something that, that where we, we uh, talk a lot with our, our colleagues outside of the States on in terms of like radio streams, frequencies, some of the really challenging things of like uh, call and response to uh, call letters and, and those kind of things. Um, so, so, so live radio streams it was also fit into um that first bucket um and then uh now now we, the the one that kind of led us into this the second bucket of unique features is our npr one um uh, experience, which is a little more on demand. You can skip, you can personalize, you can take it from the mobile app to your TV, to your Alexa. Um, and so those are, those are some of the unique features and that's what's powering, um, our, our partnership for Alexa, what's the news. And so, um, in the U S that's us, uh, Fox news, CNN, CNBC, and I think Bloomberg news where there's, there's only five of those partners who, um, have this longer form flash briefing that, that, that they went out within the spring. Um, and so that is where we were able to, 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 to take the lead there and show that, you know, we have more than five minutes of audio content. Um, here's, here's how you can, um, really deepen the engagement with, with news. Um, and what are them? What are some of those? Um, you mentioned the unique features. Are you talking multimodal and being and having people being able to kind of like essentially ask their radio for stuff? Is, is any anything else in terms of the unique features that that are particularly stand out? From, from yeah, the weight weight quiz is is one of those where it's it's moving beyond yeah the just ask the radio for a thing and play it we, the the weight weight quiz is interactive it's open ended and so um, it's not kind of multiple choice um, and so we're introducing names news making names where they're hard to pronounce they're hard to understand and we really wanted to bring that live show experience onto the speaker um, and so or onto the voice platforms and so they are open-ended questions, you know, things that could be in the news that are new. And so we're using some of the dynamic slots, um, uh, functionality there. Um, and so it, it really, we really wanted to push the envelope there, um, and say that it had to be kind of, you know, like quiz and time. They had to feel the urgency and they're like, Oh, I know the answer. It's at the tip of my tongue. And they'll guess twice. There's a lot of stuff with opening up that mic, um, to, to, to have open-ended questions and, and folks, uh, if you see the rating, then folks on both platforms actually really do enjoy it. And really and folks that have been go to the show or listen to the podcast, um, say it feels like being on the show. And that is just like 
that that was our, our, our goal there. It was like you, you wanted to feel like you were on the show live and, and laughing along with the news. Um, and so we produce that content every week um, just for the quiz. It's not like just snipped from the show. And so um, we changed up our process there. Folks are having fun. Our producers have fun doing that quiz um, and our users are having fun taking it. And so I think that's where we saw just um, what, what it means to take advantage of, of the unique feature that, oh, well, that, that, you know, in early days of the games, we were, they, folks did want us to say, you know, is the answer A, this or B, that, you know, we, we wanted to push the platform, we wanted to push the experience so that it could be fully open-ended. And that's, that's what, what we see as, as a prime example of like uh, st staying at the, the leading edge of the technology. What are some of the things that you're doing to handle those open-ended questions and still be able to understand the users? Yeah, we, I mean, there's obvious, like, we know that there are parameters and there's best practices that, that both platforms put out to say, you know, monosyllabic, you know, common words don't make that the answer. And so, prime example, um, during our, our um or soft launch phrase phase, one of the answers was ant. And so it's like, uh, yeah. And so the answer was ant, monosyllabic, one word, super common, right? Like all of the things not to do. And we, it was our, uh, it was the answer. And guess what ant sounds like? End. And so we did it and we, we were doing it in user testing and we got a couple of complaints. We're like, God, the quiz just ends. You know, oh gosh, it's super buggy. Why is it ending? Literally, is the word ant. They would say ant, and the quiz would end. And and so we uh, we caught that. And we before we went to hard launch, we uh, no longer had that question in there. But that's learning. It's like uh, follow Alexa's best practices. Number one and two, you're going to learn. You know, the, the the platform will change from underneath us, and so we just have to keep an eye on on those user complaints and those user. Um, those user interactions, play the game yourself, play everyone in the game, everyone in the building, play the game yourself so that we catch some of those, those quirks um, before they go. It's live. interesting. I've had, uh, if I say to Alexa, turn it up, as in turn the volume up, she'll yeah. turn it up. But if I say to Google, turn it up, it turns it off. <laughs> my, my up must sound like off. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's actually funny, Kane, because when I try to turn off my lights with Google, 50, 60% of the time it turns it on. on. Really? <laughs> turns them on. But what I found out, what I found out, I mentioned this sometimes when I give talks, I was home with the flu and I was in bed and I had a terrible uh, temperature and I just was not ready to deal with anymore. So I said, turn off the beeping lights <laughs> and it works every single time. <laughs> every time. Classic. So you mentioned testing. NPR does a lot of testing for your voice applications, do you not? Yeah, we try and do it at, at um, kind of the ideation phase. As you can imagine how excited folks are in the building about this. Um, there's a lot of ideas and I appreciate all of those ideas. Sometimes the, the vendors come to us with those ideas. Sometimes the platforms come to us with those ideas. And I think, again, coming into this kind of second and third phase and, and being uh doing this for a while now, we've learned that we don't have to go to market right away with the idea, right? That to test the idea first. Um, and so some of that testing um, takes the shape of uh, discovery sprints. We use, we use loosely follow some of the design sprint stuff that came out of Google uh, ventures. And, and that's been helpful at times when it's a kind of a, a 
depending on the end of the spectrum, whether it's a super vague idea or a super um, fleshed out idea, and we need to kind of uh, make sure that it's uh, deliverable and feasible, we'll use different methods. Um, and so sometimes uh, we'll have sprints with just the editorial team if it's, um, if it's kind of a huge process change. Um, but then I think what obviously for us, well, the most exciting part is the, the user validation side of it. And so we try, we have, are super lucky that NPR has a lot of loyal users. We have a lot of channels where we can survey these folks um, and, and, and get uh, participants. And so, um, so we'll, we'll either do it at the end, in the beginning of the ideation, after an, ideation, an internal ideation phase, um, and, and certainly somewhere in the middle as well. Um, at, by the end, occasionally we've, in the past, in our in our uh, non disciplined past, we'll ha we'll try and do the validation right at the end, which is a risky thing. We we like we try not to do that because then you're going to go to the everyone's waiting for it to launch, and if we have to go back to the drawing board, then you know then we're um, we've we've spent wasted cycles, and so um, so we will we usually try it very very close to the beginning and. If it's, you know, depending on the results, um, we'll, we'll do another point in the middle of the project as well. Like basically voice, once we go into flows um, and then go into prototyping, we'll, we'll do it again with a real live prototype. What would be an example of the kind of testing that you would do in the ideation phase with, with users? Yeah, I mean, really we um, try and get the device out of the the, the mindset. And so we'll say we're doing, you know, a concept or a voice and we'll try, we'll read it or we'll kind of Wizard of Oz test it where we're, we, we'll, we'll read it from a cue and have people talk back to us and, and, and we'll read back or play back some audio from our computer to show that this is the, the, the response that we're expecting um, and, and ask them, you know, the, how they think about that. Um, what, what, um, one of the great examples from, from that I love our, our designers who, who, who blog about this um, say is they'll, they'll say, um, you know, if, if, if you came home and you told your, your smart speaker device this, what would you expect? And so they'll tell you what they expect, right? And so you're, and so the, the scribe is writing all of this down. And so then we say, okay, go ahead and say that. And then we'll play an audio clip from our computer and then say, so, so what do you think? And then they'll, they'll say, um, they'll give their uh, response to that. And while they're giving that response, the post analysis is, it was exactly what they expected or they were, their eye, their face like was, their, their brow was furrowed and they totally like did not like what they got back. And so those are some of the things where we try and make it really open-ended. We try and get their expectations out. We especially try and get, you know, the commands that they are using. Cause that's always our like, golden ticket out of uh, user testing words that we would never have thought of to put into our, our, our sample utterances. Um, and so there's a lot that we unpack from, from, and it's usually a half an hour or 45 minute session with each, each, each person, um, whether it's remotely or in person or whether they come into our offices to do that. Um, and so we usually do, we try and get probably six or seven folks uh, in to do that. And, and then we crunch and we analyze and we, we go, go back to the drawing board or move forward with, with what we were going, we were planning to do. And do you have, um, like, you, so you, you must kind of have an idea 
or a concept prepared or do you have many ideas and concepts prepared is it, is it a case if you have if you're going to bring someone th- down into the office do you have like i don't know six or seven different ideas or do you kind of just have one idea when you try and iterate that how does it how does all that kind yeah, of work? that's a great question i think you know as a as, as the product manager i'll look at the script and i'm like but i want to ask them all these three things that i know is like down, down the pipeline um we try and focus it we try and not to you know bombard them with like the entire future roadmap for, for NPR and voice. And so we, most of the time um, we are trying to just very specifically around a concept and idea. And, and if I, you know, if I can sneak my way and convince the designer to sneak in like a, a future question um, we will, but what, but for us, that's, it's a, um, it's what we're trying to build into our process overall that it can't just be this one once a year thing where we talk to a user, you know, that, that every project we need to build in the time to, to, to talk to real people. And, and again, multiple times during the project that it can't just be one time at the beginning and we go, you know, we go on a four month project and we never talk to a user again. And so I think that's, that's what we've, um, really been trying to discipline ourselves with is to, to have the lead time to build in the time. If things are going, you know, if things are, are taking longer that we need to build in that time to, to talk to users to get that, that touch point again. Was this an area where you had to convince some management that uh, to push back those timelines to accommodate? I think it's, I think what was really refreshing is they appreciate hearing from users, right? Like, I think that's where it's it, the validation comes all the way around is that this user said the same thing we said, and like, Oh, that's great. You know? And I, and, and I think overall it's, um, it, it's not necessarily a pushback. I think it's just, um, uh, expectations for timing. I think one, one of the things that I'm trying to really, um, emphasize here is, is moving slower to move faster in that by investing in this time early, um, and often with, with, with direct contact with their users that we can get to, you know, some of the, the development part, the part that everybody wants, the build part, you know, faster, um, and that you're not going back and you're not questioning some of these assumptions throughout, um, and that the developers and designers aren't having to go back and forth so often. Um, and so I think that's, I think, uh, the, that our management and our leadership are seeing the value of, of, of really, um, uh, t- get talking to our users. And, you know, like, I think for all of us who are super user centered, like obvious, you know, see it as something that's obvious, but I think our, our leadership understands when we go out with experiences that are consistently like four and five stars that, that they understand that, that, that it is because we aren't blindly, um, pushing things in the market that we are testing them and validating with users early. So you you mentioned that you do that kind of upfront validation. So presumably you've gone through some kind of exercise where you have an idea for a use case. You then bring people in to do this testing. Do you, how do you do that? Do you pay people to come in? Does NPR have the kind of brand that people just really want to be involved and are happy to come and do it? Do you, do you always do it in person? Like how, how does that process happen? How do you get people and, and, and how does it all kind of work? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we, we do um, value uh, our users and when they come to, even though they are super loyal and will come in, you know, just to be in the building um, or, or just to talk to a designer, we do compensate. Um, and so depending on how long it is, we'll, we'll send over gift cards. Um, and then that's up front. We let them know in the pre-screener that, that they'll um, be compensated for it. And, and it is because, you know, the, this is driving value for the organization. We should return that value to, to our super 
loyal um, listeners and users. Um, and so we, it depends, depending on what we need, again, it's not always, you know, a 45 minute like user testing task completion type of, of, of session. Sometimes it's a little more open-ended. And, and so um, we, we do try and profile um, the folks that we're trying to get ahead of time. And so if it's a national product, obviously we're trying to go uh, national and, and, and get folks geographically diverse, um, age diverse, um, and, and and, and other uh, demographic diversity there. Um, and so that, a lot of that comes through in our pre-screener. Again, we have a ton of channels that we tap into. We have newsletters, we have uh, the, the flash briefing um, on, and, 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 you know, depending on like, is it a new device? Is it, an, are we targeting new device owners? Are we targeting longstanding users? It depends on which, um, uh, experience we'll target them on. And so sometimes it's the flash briefing. Sometimes it's like podcasts that happen to be playing, um, on, on the, on the devices or just podcasts in general. And then we'll ask, do you have a device or not? Um, what, what's been really, um, effective for us is the, um, some of the multimodal ones. I think it's because the URL is like shown on the screen. Um, just to show you how loyal our audience is, we actually, for, for headless devices, folks will email our help desk and say, I heard a URL on, on the Alexa and I want to participate in the survey and we'll, we'll email them back the URL. And so again, we're, we're incredibly fortunate to have a really loyal audience that will write into our help desk, our help center um, and ask for that URL to participate. And so again, and that's, and we try and so we know that it skews super loyal and that they'll give us a ton of positive feedback. And so that's something that I think our designers know and understand too and, and, and try and, and get them to, you know, give us a little bit of criticism occasionally and, and, and with the visual ones and with the, um, the, uh, the in-person ones, you can see the cringes and like the furrowed brows and those kind of things. And so we, we, we enjoy it even if sometimes it skews the, you know, you're doing great. Everything is great. <laughs> feedback. So correct me if I'm wrong then, but did you, what you were getting at there is that NPR will advertise for recruiting users for user research purposes within your voice experiences? Absolutely. I mean, right. Like we want to know that for, for ones, for experiences that we're testing that are similar. And so, you know, for news experiences, we'll try a news experience. If it's wait, wait, we uh, advertise it on the podcast, you know, and, and other places and newsletters where we can ask them for it. And so we, we, we are trying to get it to a very specific demographic and we have those abilities to, you know, hone in because we want to get it. And sometimes it is just a broad, like, ask everybody what they think. And we do that on the newscast occasionally, uh, annually too, to say in general, how is NPR doing? And those are surveys. Um, and that's a, a perfectly great tool as well. Um, and so um, it, it just depends on kind of the, the really honed audience and in target that, that we're trying to get validation on. Is it a new person who, who does not know how to turn this on? What are we going to ask them versus like, this is, this is an NPR listener who's listened forever you know, like, is the satisfactory to, to kind of the experience that they expected. So there's, the, we have, we have quite the, the bag of tools to, to, to get at those questions and answers. If you didn't have this pool of loyal, <laughs> how, how do you think you'd go about recruiting? Yeah, I mean, I think when we first started this, I think it was, you know, definitely like, um, 
one that always comes up is Craigslist. Um, Next door, I will say it was another one. If you're talking like ge- ge- geography, um, that's something where, if you, especially coming into the office, you're like, oh, folks in the neighborhood that live around the office. Um, we are, again, I, I keep saying this, we're super lucky. We're super lucky to have tours in the building. And so um, we will uh, just talk to our, our tour leaders and say, hey, can I come in at the end? Ask ask a couple folks if they want to participate. Um, and so, you know, some of them are local, some of them aren't. Um, but if, if it's remote, then we can um, we can connect with them afterwards. Um, and so, and I think that we certainly have some of our other folks and, and our other teams do the, the, the coffee shop kind of intercepts too. And so that's, uh, that's, happens and can can work to I think one of the other ones we've seen is um, the co-working spaces and so you'll you'll get kind of a tech savvy lean there um, but certainly you know again just it, it, it plays into kind of the coffee shop intercept world and you'll just get a, a different bucket of, of folks when it's in like a we work type of place sounds as though you've got a real user research culture it's not doesn't sound as though because i mean from the from the user testing and user research that that kind of i've done plenty of in the past it's like yes you know it's part of the project yes you know there's a point in time when you need to do it but there'll be for example if you're building a website or whatever or, or a new kind of online service you, you'll have like checkpoints it's like right we'll do some testing there we'll have a week to, to iterate and we'll do some testing down there and it's kind of like it always feels as though like although actually now and, and more recently you're starting to see people who have like an email list of, of people who have expressed an interest in somewhere um but it always seems sometimes as though that if you're starting from cold it's very difficult to kind of get enough people to come in on the same day to kind of do the testing but it seems as though is is this something you do on a project by project basis as in like you know that there's checkpoints where you need to have certain people by so then you'll do that kind of like all of this stuff you've just described in time for that or is this just like an ongoing thing that you have as part of the culture of the team is that it's just a constant recruitment constant testing constantly 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 yeah i think we would love for it to be constant i think um it's a a resource challenge for us to just maintain and open you know keep a a survey open and, and and call it and make sure that 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 folks aren't like just not being uh responded to it's a very kind of a high touch process and we enjoy that and i think that again, with our loyal audience, they deserve to, to have, you know, an individual person reply. And so we don't do it. It's not open-ended, but we would love for it to be, you know, I would love to talk to users every week if I could. Um, and so it is for, for us, it is part of um, the, the core principles for, for any project or feature or product that, that I'm working on. And it's, and, and, and folks that have seen me speak before, I have this, this little cycle of, you know, uh, this little graph of, of the cycle. And if you take shortcuts in the build process, right? Like we don't, we don't want to, sh- everyone wants to over optimize for the build process and give the devs as much time as they can. But I think even, even the developers on my team know that it's so important that that initial understanding um, and, and shared understanding is really important. And that, that, that users are validating it and, 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 and users could be our station colleagues. It could be internal folks, right? Like, and it could, and users aren't always external, but that once you take that shortcut that, you know, understand that at the end at launch, when you're go to market, um, no, you know, everyone has to look each other in the eye and say, we went to market and we took a shortcut on user validation. And so this cannot be a surprise to anybody if, 
you know, that, 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 that we have a thousand, we now our post-launch maintenance is, you know, actually a V1.1 V or a, a hotfix or, or some kind of cycle that, that actually extends the build process. And so I think that's, that's something that, 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 that uh, Dustin, I think, spoke to is like, how much, how committed is the leadership in that? I think it's committing to, to the pie and knowing that any shortcuts in build means there's a shortcut, you know, that, that, that the end process um, is going to have a shortcoming in, so, in some par, part or fashion. And so I think um, making that clear up front that, that this is standard, and, you know, as folks that work in agile, right, that this is the definition of done, that at some point, somebody in the real world outside of this building has validated that this thing doesn't suck, right? And so I think that's, at the very least, we try and do that. And then sometimes it is, it's just like somebody in not, not in my department has tried it out. And that's like, not ideal, but that's fine. But for us, the, 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 the standard and the gold bar is somebody outside of the building has, has, has used and validated these ideas. It sounds like what you're saying, which is really attractive is you're going to do it now, or you're going to do it later, but if you do it now, you'll save, save some embarrassment down the line. Absolutely. I mean, certainly, you know, we'll catch a bug after launch and that's fine. But I think if we did not catch a, a very important kind of user pain point, then that's that, that is because we took a shortcut on, on actually talking to the, the, a, a broad enough spectrum of users. When you bring the users into the building for testing, what kind of setup do you have there? Oh, that's a great question. We um, there's a great uh blog post from my colleague Katie Briggs um, at npr.design um, that talks through um, their principles for kind of setting up the room. We have a future home lab that feels like a living room um, that is useful for, for some cases. Um, and, and I think some of the participatory design and kind of the, the idea exploration works well there. Um, Sometimes we do need a, a fancier setup for like, with a camera and some other things, and so um, we'll we'll use a different room for that. But um, we love we love our future home lab. It has a rug in there. It has a little coffee table and has devices set up. And so we try we try as much as we can to put them in the moment. I think one uh, one thing from. Um, Katie's talk that, that I love is everyone looks at the device when they're testing. Right. And it's just like, that is like, you know, right away that it's like not how people use the device. We don't look at our Alexa and talk to it and, you know, it's like behind us or wherever it is on the, on the stand. And so, um, that, that, that's the, that's the kind of disconnect that we're trying to, to, to break up theirs. Um, you know, have them talking, have them sitting on a couch and, 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 and having them feel as natural as they can. So they're not staring at a, at, at the device while we're trying to get them to, to, to explain how they're using it. So. And what happens further down the line then? So, so we've mentioned, we'll link to that, by the way, the npr.design. We've just had a quick look. It looks pretty cool. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. What happened? So so we've spoke about the um, the culture. We've spoke about the kind of setup. We've spoke about kind of buy-in and leadership uh, support. We've spoke about the culture and the process. Um, and then we kind of, we've spoke about the initial use case validation, sort of user research that, that you'll do. What then happens after that, so you've had people in, you've done that initial validation session, you've obviously got the rest of the project to go. Where else do you involve users and, and how does that look? We um, we certainly look at the data. So the data that we come back 
from, you know, listening times and, and, you know, users and those kind of like very standard basic uh, metrics that we get um, that tell us what's happening, not necessarily why um, we'll, we'll just watch that. And that's very much like post-launch and, and pre, pre and post-launch that those are the numbers we're keeping an eye on. I think once we are able to revisit, you know, some of the things that, that we didn't get to launch, um, but would love to add, you know, again, with user comments, reviews, our help system, our, our, our um, audience relations team is, is fantastic. And they will certainly tell us if like 20 people wrote in and, and told us like this, this piece is missing or they're having trouble with that. And so we'll do a, a post-launch um, review there and, 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 evaluate whether it's something that's worth addressing right away. Um, and, and I think what, what what we're trying to get back to, and again, this is, there's been a lot of great discipline in, in us getting into the pre-launch process. I think it, I think the post-launch process is something that we would love to get back to um, and, and really evaluate. We, we try and do a um, 60 day post-launch kind of survey. And then some of our applications were able to see um, and touch folks who, um, tried it within 30 days and never came back that, that, that tried it for that, that didn't stay past 30 days. Um, and we'll try and say, you know, thanks for trying it out. What, what didn't you like? What were some of your pain points? And they'll write back and tell us happily tell us what they didn't like about it. Um, and then obviously for folks that are, that stayed beyond the 30 days, you know, like what, 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 thanks for trying it out also, um, you know, what else do you think can be improved? And so, We'll try and crunch those, those, and 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 have it inform kind of our our, our development timelines there. Um, but it's something again, the discipline post-launch. We're, we haven't quite gotten to to keep that standard um, post-launch as we have uh, pre-launch. And how how are you reaching then, people? Is is that waiting for people to come to you and then doing the survey, or are you doing like outreach? So, for some of our uh, our products, you um, have to log in, and so we can uh, we know that we can reach back out to them and just say, oh, you know, sorry to see you go. Was you know what was what was your biggest kind of pain point on, on why you didn't come back? Right, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Not not all of them are there, and so that, then we mostly just get the ones that are still still um, still participating. So you do so you're doing ongoing research on existing right stuff mm-hmm. and also you have the process of going through when you're creating new stuff is there um so for the existing stuff is there like like i don't know like a roadmap and certain points in time when you know you're going to be releasing new kind of features that spurs this on like how how do you go about the maintenance of something existing or the iteration of something existing yeah, that's a great question. You know, we certainly, for me, I think being in such kind of a, a hot uh, area where where so many of our execs are are looking at every launch, um, we and have very uh, specific deadlines in which they want those things launched. Uh, we've made MVPs very lean, our, our minimal viable product very lean. And so the must-haves are truly must-haves because we're trying to hit, you know, some 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 really ambitious deadlines. And I think we have so many in our should-haves and could-haves that we would love to go back to. And really a lot of that is driven, the, the moving the could-haves and should-haves into kind of a, a, v, a V1.1 or V2 um, 
is really driven by um, either um, user feedback, right? If, if, if we'd done our homework right, we know that some of the should haves are things that some of our users would really love and it would, and um, we'll try and get back to it as soon as possible. Um, but uh, it, things are moving so fast that, that we, we certainly, um, I, what, what I uh, take a lot of pride in is that the MVP can stand on its own and is still a, a, a great product and checks a lot of the boxes for our, our business uh, needs and our metrics. Um, but I think what I would love to do more is to, to revisit, you know, how do we make it, you, you've seen blog posts, lovable, you know, how is it minimal, minimally lovable? And so get some of the sh- more of the should haves and could haves and then really deep dive into the, the user feedback so that we can make it, make it, make folks even more engaged in it, make folks, even, you know, love it even more. Get some of the folks on the fringes that were, that mostly like the product, but like just, there's just kind of this, this one feature that's the third or fourth thing down on the should haves or could haves. Um, the, the, that's some of the, um, the, the, the challenges that we have on being kind of a resource constrained team. So we can't get to all of those. Um, but I would, as a product manager, would love to, you know, inspire more folks to, to use and engage our products longer. It's just, there's always another project that's like looming that, that we are trying to get out the door and, and move on to the next one. What does a feature release look like for a voice first application? How are you communicating or are you communicating to your users that, Hey, there's something new you can do there? We are, we try to with, um, you know, the, the release notes on the, the various storefronts. I don't know that folks actually read those. I appreciate that um, some of the, the improvements uh, in, in some of the apps show kind of little badges that things have been updated. Um, we have in some of our um in some of our experiences, we can add um, audio clips in between to say, um, hey, you know, this is the new feature, try it out by saying this. Um, and so it, it is actually a, a kind of a, a smaller subset of um, what we do when we're launching some of these experiences is to tap into some of those other channels that we already have. Um, so it's uh, like the, the morning edition uh, experience that we launched that was that's within um, the play morning uh, play NPR skill. And so that's something where we tack on to, we tack onto the newscast and um, some of the other places to say, and up first to say that that's available. And so it's, it's some of the, the, the similar levers and channels that we use to launch a product. Some, some of them. Uh, so that morning edition one you mentioned, that was quite a, it got, kind of swept up in, in the kind of PR hype in it. That's probably what you'd be aiming for for most of it. So, so <laughs> it was that like, is that a straightforward implicit invocation using the can fulfill intent or was that something that was more of a kind of like, because you mentioned that either NPR and, and Bloomberg and a few others are kind of like the preferred news sources for, for Amazon. Was this kind of like one of those arrangements or was this like you just use the, the can fulfill intent and that's kind of happened from that? Uh, no, that the play morning edition isn't, uh, yeah, is, is, is separate. It is, uh, the, the, the full kind of utterance for it is ask NPR to play morning edition. So it's kind of just a shortcut into that one, one shot utterance. Um, and, and then that, that goes into our, our current NPR skill. Um, and so it is, uh, to Dustin's point, it's a feature of our, uh, live stream skill. It's just kind of an on-demand version of, uh, a, a really, uh, highly sought after show. Um, and so, 
Um, we and so Amazon points points Alexa Play Morning Edition to that fuller Ask NPR to Play Morning Edition. In a lot of ways, you're in a pretty envious position for a lot of people. <laughs> you're integrated very well with the major platforms, but are there any challenges that come with that? Oh, yes, there are. I think, the, you know, when I talk about timelines, we the reason we're so ambitious and aggressive on our timelines is that when we're what we say is, you know, it's code complete and that the skill is there and it's live. Um, but, you know, it still has to go through a certification process as, as folks who are all, you know, listeners of this podcast know, you know, that certification process could can be opaque at times. Um, and certainly when it's high profile and there's marketing behind it, um, Amazon has a has a special eye and Google has a special eye on it. And so, you know, that those, those are, you know, plus or minus three weeks that we don't know, is it going to be live in three weeks or is it going to be live in six weeks? And so, um, we, it's, it's hard for me, who's very deadline driven and very absolute. I'm like, this is the day that it launches, um, that it's, it's hard to explain in the building, those kind of nuances of like what phase it is. And well, it's like, it's complicated, you know, like that it's live, but not live and soft launch and some of these other kind of, uh, vague statuses that, that are really hard to, to scale at an organization to explain to, you know, non-technical folks. And so those, that, that's one of the biggest challenges, but I think for, uh, for me, who, 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 who've been in that case more than once here, you know, that, that it's worth it in the end, right. That, that, they are committed, they are as committed, they're customer obsessed, you know, Google wants it right the first time as well. And so that it's worth it to, to, you know, have that little bit of ambiguity because they're going to put their might behind it too. And so yes, it is envious. I, you know, it's, you know, first world problems for me to say, oh, Google, you know, we're waiting on Google. But I think, um, you know, we know that 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 brings a whole different level of scale for us that that um, that we now build that in, you know, not not three years later, we now know that dates are, you know, plus or minus a couple of weeks and and we need to build that into our schedules off, which is to, to, to Kane's point, that's how we get to some of our should haves. And we were super disciplined to get our must haves in. It's a really small and tight feature set. But we now know that Sometimes we can get to that should have list um, because we're waiting on Google and Amazon to to get it through their processes. Do you have any um, features or things that you have in any of the skills that tagging on on the on the back of Dustin's point in terms of being in a relatively privileged position? Do you have any features in in the experiences that you have that aren't yet available? So an example of that would be. Um, the BBC have like a video flash briefing, which it's not open to everyone. There's a set number of news uh, providers that can have a video flash briefing. Is there anything that kind of NPR either has or is using in its current live skills? I'm not asking you to kind of like <laughs> tell us any secrets of what's coming up, but anything you've got out there right now that, that you've been kind of privileged enough to be able to use before that before it's rolled out to, to the wider market? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the what 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 I'm most proud of is is that uh, Alexa, what's the news status? And, and and certainly against the publishers that are up there, you know, I think we 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 needed to do work on our end to to make sure that that we fulfill what what Alexa needed there. But that that's probably the biggest one where it was you know, and it was so exciting for us. We would talk about it all the time. Like, I don't know that this is like, is this an NDA? Um, but, you know, once it went live, I think everyone knew that it made sense and we were there. Um, we're, we're so excited. And that that's, that's a prime example of us being like, 
all you know three years of working with them kind of getting to this point where they 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 their um, strategy with longer form news and our ability to deliver um, in, in in a way that that they were um, that they were happy with uh, in terms of technology integration um, was just kind of like the, the the perfect storm for us and we're so excited and, and, and privileged to be be at that position. I will say for both platforms, this is this is no secret and 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 the kind of the opposite side of that is the audio player, right? Like that NPR, like really is is heavily um, audio focused and then that we rely on on that audio player to, to power a lot of our experiences and we know that it's there's not a lot of developers or, or folks that, there's not the masses of folks that um, want to, to innovate on, on that player and there's a lot of um, of uh, unfinished kind of work on that player and then we see um, it's hard for us to integrate on both platforms and it's a hard, apparently just hard for, for both platforms to make it so accessible to to third-party developers and that's a challenge for us and i think that's that's the part where we want to use our might a little more to 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 really extend that audio player so it's not just kind of a blind handoff to this other piece of technology that we don't have a ton of control over um, uh, on both platforms and so i would love i would love to really push push both platforms on on making uh, a, a better more extensible audio player yeah, I saw the talk from one of your colleagues at Voice Summit, and it sounds like you have to do a, just a ton of hacks to make this work. Yeah, yeah, I think for them, you know, like uh, the, the the music players don't want, don't need a lot of the custom interaction, really. That's just like, hand, that, that, that's their kind of developer pitch is just hand all of the music uh, the, the audio stuff to us and we'll deal with it. And for us, we, you know, want both sides of it. We want it to be easy to integrate with, but we also want control over the audio player. And so I think that's just, um, something that not a lot of folks and developers ask for. And so we are, we're just one of, of, of a very handful who are, who have the, the chops and the, the audience to, to influence that. I think we would love more, um, more, more influence and pressure for them to, to make it so that it's, um, that we have a little more visibility into statuses and, and, and those kind of things so that we can build out the experience a lot, a lot more than we have. What, what kind of control do you mean or what kind of access do you mean? So at the moment, I'm, I'm assuming you either send a live feed or you whip over an MP3 and once it's gone, it's gone, throw it over the wall kind of thing. But what, what additional capability do you, would be valuable? Because I'm assuming it wouldn't just be valuable for you, it would be valuable for anyone that has any kind of audio content. So what, what things in particular are you, are you talking about there? Yeah. Did the audio fail? Did it play all the way through? Can we, um, how long have they been listening to it? Right. Like a, a lot of those things, there's like the, the, the best example. And this is, this is again, quoting, uh, the, the, the talk that, that, that Dustin went to, um, the, the status is called nearly finished. And actually that status, we've learned that that status happens as soon as the audio starts. And so, or I think as nearly finished downloading, not nearly finished playing. And so there's just a couple of these cases where someone like us who is in this code every day and, and really, you know, is using it to drive some, some, some forward thinking experiences and audio that like, that, that we complain about and we tell them like, this isn't great, um, that, that they won't, that it won't be addressed until, you know, there, there are more folks that do it. Um, and so same, same on the Google side, again, it's like, like, like you said, Kane, you know, you hand this thing over to the player and you hope that it works. I think that's, 
that's as as developers who are 100% focused on, on this platform and technology like that's certainly not not a case that 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 uh, that gives them a ton of confidence in that that, that the UX is going to be rock solid so there you go boys and girls if you are uh, on what is it Alec- is it a, is it uservoice.alexa is that what it's called <laughs> uservoice.alexa something like that let me just grab the URL hang on alexa.uservoice.com there you go so if anyone uh, is around there go to alexa.uservoice.com and maybe we can create something which will vote up audio player capability I'm sure there's probably something in there that's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's wanting more capability around that but let's let's maybe try and do that absolutely thank you yeah, I just have one more question for you. NPR podcast that you recommend, new or just maybe under the under the radar? Oh, this is the hardest one because it's hard to say on voice. Uh, but uh, it's been a minute podcast with Sam Sanders. He does a lot with uh, newsmakers and entertainment in the news, pop culture. He covers the whole gamut. It's really exciting accessible and great podcast. Um, same with Code Switch. That one is um, here based out of NPR here with a ton of fabulous um, producers and journalists who are talking and writing about um, super important uh, race and culture uh, discussions. So uh, it's been a minute and Code Switch are my two. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for speaking with us. Where can people find you? Where can people find your team online? Oh, great. Uh, NPR.design is where you'll see a lot of the design setups and then super open uh, and transparent kind of blog posts of how we do our work. NPR.codes is where you'll see a couple of our blog posts from our developers who are also super uh, open about kind of our process there. Um, We don't have a product one, but you can find me uh, on Twitter. It's Hawa is underscore, um, and I link to a lot of those, um, a lot of those posts as they go out, and certainly as we're out in, in the world speaking um, at conferences about this. Please join us at any conference that that we're going to be speaking at, because um, we love to hear from 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 you as developers and, and NPR fans. Um, everywhere we our our developer travels. Um, to, to speak uh, outside of the U.S. as well, and so certainly, uh, certainly connect with with them as well when they when they're traveling at those conferences. There you go. Thank you again so much. Yeah. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks, Kane. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That was Hahua Hamano of NPR. Interesting discussion now. I really enjoyed that. I love getting into detail about user research and figuring out, you know, how NPR are approaching it and at what point in which projects do they kind of do it and how do they go about recruiting. Loving the fact that they actually recruit for users to come and help them test features within their voice experiences. So there's a little tip for you. That'll be a good one to do. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really refreshing to, to hear that the team prioritises so much, that they've got senior management buy-in and that it's part of their definition of done is, has it gone past somebody from outside this office? Love that. Absolutely love it. Thank you, Hahua, for joining us. Uh, it was an absolutely interesting discussion. I loved also talking about the relationship between NPR and Amazon as well, um, because being a partner with Amazon and working so closely with Amazon, it's interesting to know how that relationship works and, and whether you do get access to, to new features and, and all that kind of stuff. So thank you, Hahua, for joining us. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.